Welcome to another episode of Super 8's podcast brought to you by SportsTalk.ie, kindly sponsored by Syncom Recruitment and the Hudson Bay Hotel Group. This week's competition is a two-night stay in the fantastic Sheraton Hotel at Lone. Simply like or share our competition post on Facebook or Twitter and you could win this wonderful prize. On this week's show, we'll be talking to former international rules star, Westmead footballer and colleague of mine, two-time all-star to beat as well, rated one of the best man-markers of all time, John Kane. Well, we'll start the senior club action from the weekend. Myself, Doran Hart, is host, Sean O'Gahalpin and Shane K. Kern. Welcome aboard, lads. How are you doing, Shane? Good evening, Doran. Doran, how are you? Not lost me now, Shane. I suppose uh, serious weekend of club action. It's great this time of the year. and I think there's only one place to start. I think that's down in Cork. I think for me, probably the performance of the weekend was Nemo Topland, their All-Ireland reigning champions, uh, Dr. Croaks. And they had five points to spare. And I suppose a serious boost for both Cork club football and uh, Nemo were worthy winners in the end. Well, you know, I suppose Nemo have been, been out of the... the, the um we call it the international or the national reckoning for some time. I think they're one of the most successful clubs across Madrid in the whole competition. And um, yesterday's game was, was a very, uh, you know, it was, it was a, an enthralling encounter. Um, I suppose when, when, when I looked at it, uh, there was a lot of hard football in it, um, which was very um, athletic, but it was also very, uh, I suppose, uh, physical as well. And, um, you know, Croke's been the All-Ireland champions, I suppose. Everyone felt that uh, they would probably kick on and, and beat Nemo, but uh, it wasn't to be, and, and um, they, they put in a tremendous performance uh, down in Porky Rain, and, and uh, you know, I'd say, you could say themselves down it's not Neil Corrafin, they all fancy their chances of, of, of winning the All-Ireland, you know, so uh, it was a really good game, I'd have to say. I thought it was, it was quite good. Some really good uh, play from Luke Connolly. I think um, 10 points, I think he scored yesterday. And uh, while I suppose the nemesis of many a, a football team in, in, in Munster and indeed around the country was struggling at one end, uh, he was doing very well the other. The coach really was, was out of sorts and out of kilter. And I think when he is then, um, Crokes obviously suffer and, and uh, they don't play at their best. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you there. I don't think the inside line got going at all for, for Dr. Crokes and probably because Gooch didn't put the strings out around probably half forward line like he, like he normally does. No, I mean, they were going in as 3-1 to one outsiders, Nemo, and I think there was a critical time in the second half when there was a point or two between the teams and he had a, a free 30 yards in front of goal and, you know, it's something you'd expect he'd put over with his eyes closed and, and yesterday, um, you know, maybe Father Time has just caught up with him and I think also possibly the pressure of the last uh, six, seven weeks um, has told him, told him probably mentally more than more than physically and, and uh his game obviously suffered. I think yesterday he was only a shadow of himself. And Crokes, uh, by and large, were a shadow of them, their own selves. But, you know, they've been on the road a long time too. And it's uh, they don't call it, call it the toughest competition for no reason. But um, when you've got a team with the tradition of Nemo uh, playing at home, you could say, uh, they're always going to going to put it up to you. And uh, yesterday was, no, was a great example of a team that, uh, you know, was rank outsiders um showed little or no respect for Crokes. And... Uh, as I said, put some fantastic passages of play together and won, I think, by five points uh, deservedly in the end. Yeah, great performance, Irene. And certainly Luke Connolly was unbelievable. I think he ran down the line there at one stage with two or three lads 
left in his wake and to do that at this time of the year I think is phenomenal one thing I will take you up on it there Shane just the, the, the crowd at that Munster final I suppose it was a disappointing compared to it look at the, the attendances across the board 2,851 people turn up to watch a, a Munster final between two of the great probably perennial clubs over the, the last few years that was a small bit disappointing yeah, and I, I think you know, I've seen the crowd in uh, going back to the Hayshed in Tomb, I suppose, was even smaller. Uh, there seemed to be a very small crowd for the Corrafin Castle Bar game, but I think that's indicative of the club competition being put out into into the likes of November. Um, you know, where pitches are poor, travel um, travel is poor as well for supporters. Roads are bad. Um, people is coming into shopping time. People don't have that that extra maybe few pound that they would have during the summer. The nights close in, so when the games are on the television, people will say, "Well, I'll just watch it at home," and and you know that's what you get. You're going to get an awful lot, way way smaller crowds at these games. And and to be fair, the creature comforts in a lot of the grounds are, are is very poor, so it makes for for uh, for a very poor spectator um, experience, really. You know. Yeah, I certainly would agree with you there, all right, yeah. I suppose this time of the year you can put the fire on and watch it on the TV. Certainly beats going out in the cold and rain up to travelling to the likes of these places. Um, well, moving on then, just, yeah. yeah, moving on then to Ulster, um, Slock Neil, they've done the double treble. They're probably a fantastic achievement that I don't think any club will ever do again. Um, they did a serious win over Cavan Gales as well, Shane. They were probably a small bit more comfortable than some of the other games that was played around the country. Yeah, I mean, they, they ran out 115 to 10 point winners. Um, I mean, they've had an incredible run of success. I mean, continued again in style in the, at the Athletic Grounds yesterday. Um, it's their third uh, senior, Ulster senior football title in four years. To be fair, um, I, I've been a huge admirer of, of, uh, of um, Warren for a long, long time. Um, he's a tremendous, tremendous coach. He seems to have really started them off on a, on a great path, and uh, they've just continued. Um, it's, it's an amazing story, though. I mean, I think they have about 230 or 240 people in their village. And to keep up what they've done, as you said, the, the double treble in, in both hurling and football is a remarkable, remarkable achievement, not to forget uh, what they're doing also in Camogie. And... You know, they have superb leadership, or in, in fairness, in their team. Christy McCaig is, is, is just a, he's a great player. And, and um, Brendan, Brendan Rogers is also a superb player. And they're just, uh, you know, they're an amazing, amazing story. There's no doubt about it. Um, Kevin Gales, I suppose, you know, haven't competed at this level for, for a while. Um, and, and you can tell maybe teams that are, that are honed in and hardened into into club championship football this time of year. It makes it makes an awful difference, particularly if they're coming up against teams that maybe have no track record or or little experience in it. And, and it's very very difficult um, for teams like Kevin Kevin Gales to put it up to a shock Neil. But like again, I mean, they were unbelievable. Shane McGuigan, Shane McGuigan yesterday scored, I think, one six, only two points from freeze. Um, they're, they're they're a formidable formidable side and. Uh, They'll take some beating now. They'll fancy their chances because I think that the whole competition has been thrown really wide open over the last couple of weeks. With Fenton's gone out, and with obviously Croke's gone out with yesterday. Mickey Morton, as I said, is just a, I think he's a tremendous coach. Always liked the way he spoke, and always liked the way he appraised players after games. And uh, he's done a tremendous, tremendous job with this with this side, and and um, the players themselves have have just taken it on to another level. Yeah, fair. So I'd say they're they're justifiably favourites to win the win the All Ireland series now. 
Yeah, I, I suppose the, 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 what they'll have to overcome um, is, is that traditional. I think they play Nemo Rangers in the semi-finals, if I stand corrected. Yeah, I think you're right, yeah. They, yeah, they, play, yeah. they play Nemo in the semi-final. Sometimes what happens, I suppose, really, is when you meet a traditional power that it, the people will expect a traditional power to win out. In, in this particular instance, in this particular case, um, Shock Neal have been very strong for the last four years. They've huge experience got. They're deservedly, probably, probably in many people's eyes, uh, um, deservedly um, favourites to win the All-Ireland. But that comes with a, with a tag as well and with a price at times. And, and they'll now have to perform under that, that duress and under that stress. And, uh, you know, we'll have to see if they're capable of doing it. I, I, I for one, would love to see them doing it. Yeah, I think so as well, especially after what they're doing up there. It's just been phenomenal. Uh, 7,591 up there. The crowd currently booked the trend across the country and it just shows the passion they have for football and for the GA up in, up in that part of the woods. Yeah, well, I mean, that's all across Ulster, I think, really, because, you know, um, as I said, I think there's only 300 people, I think, in Schlock Neil alone. Um, so unless they have an awful lot of um, historical relations all over the place um, and brought them on buses and whatever else, uh, there seems to be an appetite to watch it, watch the game up there. And, and um, but again, the athletic grounds in Armagh is a fine ground. It's you know, there's good seating in it. There's a, there's a good atmosphere in it. Um, it's it looks comfortable. It's cosy. Um, so maybe that's that's the reason that, that people travel to it. You know. Yeah, I see Chris McCaig, I think he tweeted there today, they played 27 championship games this year between football and hurling, and they've won 25. I think the two of the lost was in the All-Ireland series in both hurling and football, so they'll be trying to go one better, certainly next year. Yeah, and <laughs> there's no excuse for burnout up there, anyhow, I can tell you, no excuse, there are no excuses been used about burnout, but it just goes to show you the character of them. I think, you know, to, to play 27 games and, you know, just as you said, be defeated at the penultimate stage of a both senior competitions is, is a remarkable, remarkable effort. Look, I suppose we'd, we'd be hoping that uh, they can go ahead and, and just win the All-Ireland. I think that would be... Uh, a rightful, rightful prize for, for all the efforts. Moving over to Interconnect, uh, the Conquerors of your own club, St. Bridget's, they needed extra time once more to overcome uh, Castlebar Mitchells, and they've done two in a row for the Galway men now in Connacht. Uh, another great achievement by them, Shane. Yeah, and, and you know, they were up against it again for parts of the game. Um, two goals from Brady and Michael Lundy in the first half gave them a five-point advantage on two occasions uh, going into the second half. But a late surge from Mitchells, you know, kicked the last five points of the game, sent it into extra time. I, I think their great friend uh, Marty Duffy helped them along the way with an extra three or four minutes of injury time. Um, but notwithstanding that, the momentum seemed to be with the, with, with the Mitchells. Um, but again, Corafen found it from somewhere to lift it. And, uh, you know, the loss here in Fitzgerald after 20 minutes following the clash of heads, um, Manny would have thought that that would have taken a big wind out of their sails and it did for, for, for a part his, his strength, his composure and his, his leadership at the back is, is a, a huge element of, of Currafin's football um, but they kicked on and, and uh, look at I think they've got maybe subs that have come in they brought Dahi Burke in again for Brady yesterday after about 53 minutes um, they could bring that in off the, off, the, off, the, off the park Kevin Murphy came in for McGrath Farrer, Farrer came in for Burke, Malloy came in for Cunningham, and these were all very, very good, good, good club footballers. I think Gary Sice just had one of his, one of his really better games. Um, he's been a, a tremendous warrior for them, but yesterday he stood up to the mark at crucial times for them, and then played a, played a, 
a, a, a, a leading role in, in, in the recovery and, and helping them to win. And Lundy, I think, um, actually underwent a, a, an operation on his, uh, what do you call it, during the week? Appendix. Um, sorry, on his appendix, yeah, during the week. Yeah. So for him to play, I think, four or five days after, uh, it was a remarkable recovery. Right. Uh, and so it just shows, I suppose, these lads are, are um, really committed to their cause. They're committed to Corrafin. Uh, they're, they're worthy uh, Connacht champions. They came close on both occasions to losing their crown to, to St. Bridges, I suppose, us, ourselves and, and uh, Castlebar. And they've seen it through. And, and um, they're a steely side, you know. They have a way of playing. And they have an understanding with one another. Um, that has has come over the years, and and I think they'll be looking maybe as well as uh, some of the kingpins have fallen over the last couple of weeks. That um, they they can 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 roll on and and uh, repeat the win of 2015, where where uh, they went on to win the All Ireland. Yeah, I certainly agree. I had the pleasure of playing with Gary Sice in college, and he's certainly a warrior. So he is and great, one of the best players I've probably ever played with. Uh, yeah, you he's, didn't a get fine, he's a fine player. You didn't get Lynch for your last comments about the state of this Tume Stadium and so on, but what do you think of the carry-on beforehand, Shane, with the Castlebar Mitchells players having to climb the fence to get onto the pinch? Do you think it was blown out of proportions, or was there a serious breakdown in communication somewhere? No, I don't. I don't, I don't think, I think there's a total and there's a serial lack of respect for players within the GEA from certain types of officials and certain types of people that man gates and man man pitches and all that sort of stuff. There needs to be protocols around the training where pitches are not or or grounds are not suitable for for warm ups. For example in Tune, they have not only do they have a hay shed, but they have a they have a horse patch at the back of the dressing rooms um, where they expect you to train on that has crumbled all, all timber on it and all that type of stuff and muddled grass and uh, nettles and whatever else. I mean, it's it's just a total lack of respect for the players. If the grounds don't have a warm-up area, well, then players are entitled and should be entitled to go out and warm-up on the main pitch that they're playing on for a 15 to 20-minute period prior to the game. And that's not going to make any difference um, to how the pitch performs uh, over over a 70-minute or 60-minute game. Um, and and this, this has been replicated in a lot of county grounds as well, uh, where there's no warm-ups on the main pitch and that. And that's... That's fine if you have an adjacent warm-up area that's suitable for players. But there is no adjacent warm-up area in Tune. So in the absence of that, players should be allowed to go out on the pitch and warm up in the traditional manner uh, that gives them the best opportunity or, or the best opportunity of performing to the, to the top of their, their standards and the top of their abilities. Um, so it, it isn't fair. Um, and I've seen the... the, the um, the, the, the Facebook post and the, the videos on, on online and on social media. I've seen Currafin were let out. Um, I don't think it, there was any bias towards Currafin. I would say just at that stage, um, officials have decided that we better open up the gates here. Um, but it's really embarrassing for players to be treated that way. And it shows a total lack of respect. And I think the Connor Council and all the councils have to put down a diktat or protocol that if there is no adjacent or there's no adjoining warm-up areas that are suitable for players and suitable for teams, well, then the main pitch should be used. Yeah, I certainly agree with you there, Shane. I think it was absolutely yeah. farcical, and I think it's very archaic and probably an old way of thinking, and some 
officials trying to mind the pitch in this kind of way, manner. But if you don't have a proper warm-up grounds, it's impossible for players to get ready for action. And then if, uh, expecting to perform at the best of their ability in a high, probably one of the, the biggest games of their lives. I think it's, it was absolutely farcical, and certainly would agree with them sentiments. Such a issue, issue there. Moving across then into Leinster, um, Moorfield versus Ratnew and. The giant killers that were rat new after taking out St. Vincent's, they weren't able, unfortunately, able to replicate the same exploits against uh, Vincent's uh, yesterday, and unfortunately they went down to a very strong Moorfield side. Shane, uh, I suppose it's when an um, underachiever, well, I don't know if you call them underachievers, but when uh, underdogs probably take out a giant killers and there's all the celebrations that have to come along with it, it's kind of very hard to get to the pitch of maybe another, another strong game in two weeks' time. Would you agree with them sentiments? Yeah, it's very difficult, Doran. And and you know, you know, when you when you do such a giant a giant killing act, uh, it's very difficult to get two kind of performances back to back with all of the hullabaloo and all of the probably premature celebrations that you would have with taking out a huge club like St Vincent's. Um, for right now, that that's a huge thing in itself. Um, to progress to a semi final, maybe of a tournament that the the felt or competition that the felt would be out of. Previously, um, but you'd have to say Moorfield are a Moorfield are a good team. Um, uh, you know, I think the Kildare Kildare champions are always going to be there thereabouts, and um, I think they're they're powered by by a famous O'Connor family from Kerry. Um, but in in Rat News in Rat News case, um, the expectation levels that you have when you go in after that giant killing can actually sap energy out of, out of a team, and I think uh, um, that's really what happened. Uh, what happened with, with with them yesterday? Moorfield, you know, Eno Connor kicked uh, eight points. Um, they had only four scores, interestingly, interestingly enough, uh, out of a scoreline of two thirteen. So that won't be enough um, when you get to the when you get to the higher level of competition. Uh, you will need a better spread of scores throughout the side because the good teams they will they will look in at, at at matching up the good players that are that are proficient in scoring and and they generally cancel each other out. And you'll want a far better spread of scores. Um, but notwithstanding that, I suppose you know Moorfield um, will go into the December clash with St. Lomans in in really good shape. Um, there's no doubt about that. Uh, they're, they're, they're a side I'd say that will say to themselves they have a very good chance now of winning a Leinster Championship um, and um, they'll prepare accordingly I think and Luke Dempsey will, will do the same with, with Lomans and it'll be, a, it'll be an interesting game because I think the winners come out and play play Cora Finn uh, mm-hmm. whoever wins that game will look at, look at themselves of having a great chance of getting to an All-Ireland final Yeah I certainly think so um... I suppose just taking you up on that said Lomans another probably after coming overcoming a very slow start again they eventually got going and reeled Simonstown in I'd say Colm O'Rourke would be a small bit disappointed that Simonstown didn't kick on after a, a, probably a real positive start but when you have players the likes of Paul Sherry John Heston I think they're serious match winners John Heston kicked six points again yesterday he's just a scoring machine um, and Luke Dempsey delighted to be in a Leinster, Leinster final yeah yeah to be fair and and, and um if you notice, if you think if you notice a lot of the top scorers in the teams yesterday, you know, in winter football in particular, their scores come from freeze. John kicked six yesterday. Uh, five of them were from freeze, and um, notwithstanding, I presume he had a, probably a serious role as well in, in, in driving the team forward. He's a tremendous player. There's no doubt about that. He's one of the best in the country. Um, Luke Dempsey is, is to me a, a very, very good manager. Uh, we had him as a coach 
uh, he'd come in and do some sessions in Bridges for a time. Uh, he has a great way with players, I think, and a great way of getting the best out of players. Um, the score 13 points, I'd say Colin Moore could be disappointed with the return from Simonstown Gills. They actually started quite well, um, but couldn't build on that. And uh, they only scored the 1-8 um, the one eight in the game, and, and that's never going to be enough really to win any match. And, and uh, look, at I think Lomans will be delighted with their, with their run in the championship to date. Um, and they will see an opportunity against against uh, Moorfield, who I think they will go in against as, as underdogs, um, slight underdogs maybe, as as an opportunity also to win, win a Leinster Championship. And that will be very, a very successful season for Lomans. And after that, then who knows where they can go, because uh, as I said, uh, they'll meet the Connacht Champions Cora Finn, and, and um, maybe people say they're not, they're not at their best either. So, uh, Luke has done a great job there. Um, they're, they're obviously a club that's dominating uh, Westmead football. Um, I know that John Heston isn't necessarily a, a native Lowman's person, and maybe there's one or two others that they've in there that aren't natives either. But that's the case with any big town team now. Um, they've adapted and they've obviously have a very open, open, open cultured club, and, and uh, they're reaping the benefits and the rewards for that. Yeah, no, in fairness to John Hisson, I think he played most of his underage football with, with St. Lomans as well and grew up out the road, so he's not too far away. Luke Dempsey yeah. has a phenomenal record for five, five years now. He's after winning five titles, two with Moorfield and three with Lomans. So as you say, rightly, Shane, it's super stuff and an unbelievable achievement out of him personally as well. And I'll just go on by the talk of the game and at it, talking to people at it, they were saying, this, like, like the Curra Finn game, the substitutes made a huge difference. I think Kieran Lynham came off the bench and Conrad Riley, who normally starts them, but he's only back from travels abroad. He, I think he, they were the driving force in the second half, along with the, the, the more established players like you talked about. So certainly it sets up a cracking final between them, them, themselves and Moorfield. And I don't think I'll be backing against my own county men. I know firsthand how good they are. And I've been saying it for a few years. I thought they would have got a bit further the last couple of years. So I think for me, they, they might just nick it, uh, maybe on a tight game. John Heston might kick on and kick the winning score. I'm delighted to work, welcome onto the podcast now one of the greatest footballers Westmead has ever produced. His attention to detail had no boundaries and a man I was probably lucky enough to play alongside and a man I learned a lot from in the short time playing with him. Uh, John Kane, how are you doing? How are you doing, Doran? It's a lovely compliment to get from you. Considering you've had about four or five years standing in front of me. <laughs> I was giving you plenty of cover. I won't be like Dennis now and ask your all-star for six months off, uh, off you. <laughs> uh, John, I suppose we just had a chat there about the, about the club matches. It's a great weekend for St. Lomans. Yeah, great weekend for St. Lomans. Super result for them and it's great to see it. It's it's first time anyone's been back here since yourselves got there a couple of years ago. So it's a great opportunity for them and I'd say they were probably spurred on by the fact that I think when Vincent got knocked out, everybody in Leinster thought they had a good chance of winning it. And fair play to them. They're there now and there's only two of them left. Yeah, I suppose uh, they, they started slow yesterday again, John, and they're the same up over in Longford against Munanyakta. That's something they're going to have to probably overcome if they're going to probably win the final. Yeah, and I think they addressed that and they talked about it afterwards. I heard uh, John Heslin talking and I heard uh, Luke talking afterwards and both of them spoke about it and they said it's not like they have a plan to do it, but it's just the way it works out in a couple of games. But I think they've had that much experience over the last number of years within Westmead anyway of knowing that they're good enough to win a championship match and at last it's feeding through to Leinster. And I think a team, uh, somebody made a point at Hellerton talking that the Leinster Club Championship 
is different to the Leinster Intercounty Championship that every team that's in it is competitive and believes they can win it because they're winners within their own county. And then when they go to provincial level, if they get in a bit of a run, they think they can win anything, you know. Yeah, I certainly agree with you there. Like, and I don't know. Sometimes the more you talk about these things, starting slow and that kind of thing, I don't think it might have helped things. Sean Og, any any ideas or any um, how do you overcome or sorry get off to a fast start in the game or how is the best way to prevent it? Uh, prevent the poor start in the game. Is yes, it? yes. I suppose like um, Loman's there the last couple of games, and they talked about it a lot there after the game yesterday. They kind of know that what's happening. Is there any time you've been involved in, in with teams that I suppose um, you, you, you got off to slow starts and that kind of thing? Um, I sure I would have been involved in plenty of games where or plenty of teams that would have had poor starts. So, so like what you're doing there, door and then you're looking at. Um, the lead up time into the game, you know, what are we doing? Should we be doing things differently? You know, what's the warm up like? Should we be doing more warm up in the dressing room? You know, before going out, um, uh, a fellas on time. So you're looking at stuff like that, right? And then basically, um, uh, you're looking at are we? I, I, I fellas literally like following the game plan to what they should be doing. You know, um. Because unfortunately you'll often get some guys there like and with all the best will in the world the game plan is told you know given to them but they start doing other things like kind of and they go off in their own solo run so to speak so um yeah you're like you're looking at stuff like that you know kind of yeah Shane I suppose you you you've been involved in a couple of managing a couple of teams and it's something I suppose that the, the, if you can get off to a good start that you have the best chance of winning the game it goes without saying so yeah. I suppose you, you, you know, if, you, as, as, as John and, and, and Sean have, have, have said, you, you look for every indicator, you know, you know the, all the, the logistics around it and all that, and you try to identify maybe areas that, what, can, can we improve on that, that will negate that, and maybe help us do that. So if you do X, can you, can you uh, arrive at Y and find, find the solution? But the issue here is that you've got so many movable parts. You've got 15 different guys, and it's sometimes difficult to get the 15 in sync together uh, to start with. And, and the other side of it as well, you've also got opponents who are also saying the exact same thing as you. So I think sometimes, you know, you, you, can, you can look at games and say, well, look, we're not starting well, but we're really finishing well. So there's reasons for, there's reasons for both. And then find the indicators, see can you improve, and... and um, I think sometimes, you know, if, if you make a huge issue with things like that, the issue continues on, whereas you can find maybe a, a solution um, by, by, being, by being maybe communicating things in the dressing room a bit better or uh, whatever it may be, and, and, or just being on a particular day, being a little bit more ready than, than your opponent. And a lot of what I think really is psychological uh, as opposed to physical. Yeah, I don't think I certainly agree with you there. All right, Shane. Uh, John, just uh, who's your tip for win the win the club finals? If you're if you had tenor to stick on anyone at the minute, who would you who would you be going for? Oh, we'd have to go with our Westmead buddies, wouldn't we? We'd have to go with Lomans, I suppose. But I suppose Luke should have some sort of an insight into Moorfield. He's he's had five in a row championships at this stage. You had two with Moorfield and three with three with uh, Lomans. So it's some record for Luke, and he know Moorfield inside out as well. You know, so he, he should have a good inkling into. What is making them tick? But I know they're a super club. I was in college up in Minute years ago, and we had a fairly decent kind of under-21 college team that entered into a championship. I remember, and there was big ructions up in Kildare that we were allowed to put a team into the championship in Kildare under-21. 
and there would have been a lot of guys on it with me. It would have been, say, Alan Brogan and Ross Munley and Mark O'Shea and a whole load more guys from around the place and Rory Cavan and a few more. And there was a more yeah, field team that would make up that would make up the the bones of that team that's there at the minute that bet us in an under-21 final and it was it was a huge result I remember at the time for Moorfield and I remember just thinking at the time I think the Madonna won a Leinster title not soon after with a lot of them so a lot of those guys are probably at the end of it but they would set the tone for the club and I remember thinking at the time they were kind of a special type of a club to be able to go out and beat a kind of a stars to the team which we had at the time you know yeah, I don't know. The whole world was against you that day, was it? Yeah, yeah rightly so, I suppose. If I was a clear man myself, I would have been. I remember yeah, the big yeah, crowd yeah, up there. You're the United there, John. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, we didn't get too many more invites, I think. Like, was in your IG in the Galway Club Championship, the referee, you were about six points down before he even started, anyway, at least. Yeah, 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 that's the way it is, but you know, but. Um, Ah, look, and hopefully, I think if they get over, and like going back to them getting their good start, if Lomans can just, they'll have to just break it down. I mean, a lot of teams would do it. I would break it down into segments, into 10 minutes or five-minute segments, and focus on those first 10 and set their stall out. And as Shane alluded to, they're better off to be uh, stronger finishers than, you know, to finish strong in every game, which is, which is better from a mental perspective for a team to know that they can always finish strong. Whereas if you're finishing weak and starting strong, that's in the back of your mind the whole time. Whereas I know they're going into this that if they can stick with Moorfield at all, they'll have it in the back of their head that they're going to have it in the tank to push on the last 10 or 15 minutes. And Moorfield will have it on their head that Lomans are going to push on the last 10 or 15 minutes. So hopefully to stick with them for the first half and uh, don't let Moorfield get away from them, you'd be hoping that they have a very good chance of getting over the line. Great stuff, John. Uh, I suppose moving just on to your own career, John, we might have a small bit of a chat about it here now. Um, won't take too long. <laughs> no, you don't really like talking about yourself. From a team perspective, I suppose 2004 was definitely the highlight. Um, being the first West Me team to to lift the Leinster title, um, would you regard that as probably the pinnacle? Uh, yeah, it was. It was a, a course. I suppose it's, it's the year that we won something as a team. You know, uh, 2004, and I was in from 2001. I taken 2003 off. I went to America for the summer. I didn't play at all. And Paddy came back in, and it was a huge hullabaloo, and there was great excitement over it. And I mean, it was a tough year up until basically the last round of the league, where we secured our own um, status in Division One. But our league campaign that year was very, very ropey, and there was all the jokes going around that Paddy was getting an OBE, he was going to be out before Easter, and all this sort of stuff. And uh, <laughs> there was a lot of that going on. But we put it together for the championship, and it just rolled on from there. And it was a summer that none of us will ever forget. I suppose, like you know, we had a couple of other good years as well. Including the one when you when you were involved yourself with 2008, which was which was probably the best year that we that I ever had or that we ever had as a group in West Me continuously from start to finish. Could be a very good league campaign with a good championship, and we were luckily to be beaten by Dublin and Croker. I think it was in the Leinster semi final. I think, and then Tyrone, who went on to win the All Ireland, beat us. Um, we lost two players that day. Damien Healy was sent off, and there was some other Ludramont sent off as well. I can't remember who it was. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll, I'll hold my hands up there I'll hold my hands up there because going back to 2004 John I remember talking to David Oshockensy about this he said like it was a, obviously a reaching the pinnacle but it was also probably a major sense of regret that they didn't that that team didn't push on and maybe take out Derry in, in, in the All-Ireland series is that something you'd look back on probably one that yeah. got away ah, yeah it was I mean anybody and I mean like you I remember talking to Enda McNulty years ago and um, back around that time, and I was saying to him he'd had a good spin out of it. It was probably around 2004, 2005, and I said, you had a great time, and he was saying we didn't. We only won one All-Ireland. 
and I remember thinking at the time, Jesus, you're a bit mad. You won in All Ireland and you won a lot of Ulster titles, but it's when you finish playing that you realise, you know, you have more regrets uh, about the ones you didn't win, and definitely that Derry game was huge, and we gave them too big a head start, and we kind of a couple of us didn't have great days that day. Um, I was marking Enda Muldoon, who was a very good footballer. Heels was marking uh, Paddy Bradley, and that was a very good Derry team at the time, but I think... We probably, as much as Paddy tried to keep us grounded and everything like that, it was very hard to come back down to earth. And we did get back training fairly soon afterwards, after the whole um, excitement of winning it. But it was a huge regret. We just we just left ourselves with too much to do, and we just ran out of time in the end. And um, like Paddy explained it to us and Tomas, and they hammered it into us, telling us that we might never get here again. And I remember sitting on a bus with Dennis Glennon on the way up, and Dennis was saying, after we won the Leinster, this is great, we'll have this every year then. And I said, just Dennis, we might never get back here again. You know, and it's it's it is a regret, you know, because it was it, it could have changed the course of Westmead if we had managed to get that one step further. But um, unfortunately, it just wasn't to be. Yeah, and I think this is where probably maybe the lads might jump in here as well. I don't know, tradition, it's a bit like Retinue when they overcame St. Vincent's. I think tradition plays an expectation, plays a huge part. If you're expected to win an All-Ireland, then winning a Leinster title is not good enough for us. People are clapping you on the back, and which was a serious achievement at the time, take nothing away from it. But it probably the more you talked about it, it was very hard to get up to that performance level again. And you see, like the Kerry, they're expected to win All-Ireland. And like Sean Ogg down in Cork, they're, you're, hurt, you're, you're looking to win a Celtic Cross every year. Don't forget, we're, we're, we're looking to win Sam Maguire every year as well, Jordan, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, if you just come in there with, with, with John, sorry, shut up, with, with John there. Um, yeah, it, it's a very difficult time, you know, when you, when you, when you breach such a gap. And it's, it, it's very similar for us here. I, I jokingly say that, obviously, but in Roscommon here, like, we have maybe a, an outside chance of competing in finals at least every two or three years, or five years, whatever it may be, because of the lopsided nature of the draw. Uh, but in, in Leinster that time, anyhow, it was it was relatively competitive. You had maybe four or five teams, I'd say, that time, John, that could compete to get to a Leinster yeah, final. Yeah, you had a very good Leash team as well, yeah. You had a good Leash team, a good Kildare team, good Mead team, relatively, obviously, Dublin more than what they are now. Um, so you had, and yourselves. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it can be very, you know, the, the Europhy and the, the, all the emotion it takes out of you, the celebration takes as much out as any physical activity really doesn't it and you know I'm sure having Paddy there which he is well added to that and then you had you know it's, it's hard when you ha- when you and you have to celebrate victories as well you know yeah yeah I know and he, as I said Paddy try would have kept us very grounded and we would have been very focused in on it but I remember him I remember chatting to him kind of privately and we would have been in Cape Town on a trip later on when you'd have a few drinks with him and stuff and he was he was bitterly disappointed that we didn't go that step further. He he kind of didn't enjoy the game against Kerry in the league that year. He he found it very strange for himself and he wasn't comfortable in the setting at all. But he really wanted to get a crack at Kerry that year. You know he really yeah. wanted to get back to an Ireland final or another, you know and just get a crack at them and see how we fared against them because he, he really wasn't up for it in the league game. He kind of didn't want to be there. But once we got on that roll and he felt like a true Westmead kind of man, he really wanted to get back in a Kerry again. You know. Well, when you when you come back from the professional paid elite over in the states, John, in two thousand and three, how <laughs> <laughs> professional paid elite? I was working. I was working on a that, house that was burnt down. Don't, for a in the for don't about tell me you were a paid. Don't tell me. I think you're mixing me up with the other back. with the other Westmead All Star. Desi was in a different part of Boston than I was in. Desi was in the five star suite. You were down the base. It was much sunnier. It was much sunnier over on Desi's side of Boston than it was where I was. So, uh, just saying, when you when you came back, when you came back, John, obviously 
there was a huge shift in. You had a, you had a major, major sporting icon personality in the dressing room. Did, did you find that a huge, huge lift at the time that Paulie was there, you know, in comparison maybe to dressing rooms you were in as a minor or under 21 or even as a, I don't know whether you played senior before that or not. But yeah. um, did you find it a different a different experience did you find been in the dressing room with this kind of iconic loose cannon almost madman you know that, that his persona was you know there was no it was undoubted his skill as a player as a manager would carry his, his just zest for the game you know and obviously everybody has seen the video on Facebook of him and you know that the great game that great assault whatever I did, yeah. Like I mean, I, personally, I came home from the states that summer, and I was refreshed. I was probably about a stone overweight, but I never minded being injured or being overweight because I'd work harder to try and get it off and get right again, you know. But what happened was, I just took that year off. I'd gone and played my first year in '99. I played in 2001, uh, 2002, and I just took off to 2003 because I just needed a break. I had two older brothers that had the experience of playing county football, and they were saying to me, look, take a break. We never took a break. You take it. And it worked out to the well, but when we came back, sure, it was just super. There was just such excitement, I mean, about the fact of Paddy being there. And I would have been in college with Mark before, and I would have heard all the legends of Paddy <laughs> and different things and how particular he was. And I can remember Mark O'Shea in college with me. We'd be uh, trying to screw, or screw up a few, maybe a spaghetti bolognese or something like that to try and eat, or a few sausages and chips or something. And Paddy used to give... Mark, when he was playing with Kerry, um, Paddy was managing Mark had to go and get two meals every single week up in the Glen Royal Hotel. He was given money and he had to go up and eat up there every single week to make sure that he had at least two good meals each week. You know, So that was what Paddy was like. He, he was very much into the finer details. Despite all the roaring and shouting and stuff, he can be very calm. He was very clear in thought when he needed to be. You know, But he did yeah. definitely inspire everyone. And he lifted everyone and he kept everyone on their toes. Once he got going, he, as he said, he used to say, once the cuckoo lifted his head, I, I, I spring into gear. And that's the way he was. You know, He mightn't have been big into it before that, but once spring, you know, once after the league or towards the end of the league, he really kicked into gear and he pushed on everyone. You know? Yeah, John, Sean O'Keo, okay, man, I... I had an experience working on the party um, Railway Cup back in 1999. Good, He's a yeah. Railway Cup manager. Um, I, 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 I found him. Okay, obviously Railway Cup. Um, we got to the final last year, so we won a semi-final, got to the final, and it was done over. It was done over a weekend, so like that was like I had very limited experience of him, but I thought he was a great orator in a dress room, man. You know, can I? Yeah. I uh, Billy Morgan, the other fella that comes to my mind like that. Oh man, as you said, like kind of when he spoke, man, you just wanted to go through a brick wall. Like kind of he had that way of kind of just tapping into him. Um, uh, very passionate guy. Uh, tactically, and this is the this is the question I want to ask. Okay, tactically, he never spoke much about tactics. It was about winning your own man-to-man combat. You know, that yeah. was that was more or less kind of. Uh, yeah, he was he, he was very I, much into he was very very much into the kind of man to man match ups. Yeah, a big time uh, like kind yeah, of yeah, he was big time into it. And, 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 and that's that's kind of the game it was, I suppose, back when we were playing when he had us in two thousand and four. There wasn't too much tactics, I suppose. Tyrone at the time would have had some sort of a defensive system, but there wasn't too many more adopting it. And you might have a one sweeper or something like that. And he just tells someone to push up, but he was very very much into you know he he'd analyze, he'd watch videos of other players, and he'd know players, and he'd know his own players better than anybody else and he'd know who was well suited to them and I think 
he was kind of annoyed with himself. I think the day we played Derry and the Betis in the quarter final, I was marking Enda Muldoon for a period, and um, Heels was marking Paddy Bradley for a period, and they swapped us. But it was probably that bit too late. And I remember him saying to me afterwards, "We should have started the other way around," you know. But he he was more into it, like and you're saying, he was more into his man-to-man matchups. But he he very rarely got them wrong. You know, he knew who could do what, and he'd really rile you up for it. And the thing I used to love about him, and it was something that I used to always have with following managers afterwards with Tomas or whoever was with Westmead or even with the club if I ever had to do a man-to-man marking job Paddy always had me in the frame of mind that he'd tell me you know a couple of days previous to a match who I was going to be marking and he'd be explaining yeah. to you this is what I want you to do and whether I do video analysis myself or we had, we had Mick Sullivan back years ago as well he used to cut down clips for me and the whole lot and he put stuff together and I'd watch an opposition player and just study what he was at but Paddy was the one that would have kind of instilled the importance of knowing your opposition and how to get the measure of him, you know. But you're saying as well, Sean Oak, about his his oration skills. Like he was he was a brilliant oh, speaker. He, he did he did inspire you. Yeah. But the thing about him was he he could still be very clear in thought. You know, yeah. he was very very yeah, clear yeah, in his yeah. thought, and he could be very concise with some of his points. And he was it wasn't just your normal old style, you know. Roaring and shouting and break down the door for you, you know. He'd he'd have you. Oh, he'd have was a, yeah, there was a lot of dropping. substance to it. You know, yeah, there was oh, a lot definitely. of substance to it, yeah, and he definitely, definitely got your blood boiling and kind of. Yeah. Uh, and the import, well, it was it was monster. So he was he was on about the tradition of monster and the players that represented, you know, monster and kind of. Um, that leads me on to my other question, right? Um, and you on about parties who was an outside manager coming in. See, unfortunately, it's not the done thing in Cork, John. Over my years, I was just coached by Cork fellas, right? Yeah, yeah. What's your view on outside guys coming in? Because uh, obviously you work with party. Tomasa Flara is he's sure he's he's from the Gale Talk himself as well, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's a buddy of Hardy. Like, yeah, what's that? What's that versus Westmead managers that you would have had over your time? Are you for it? Are you against it? What's, what's your views? I'd love to get well, your I mean, views. I mean, if we were looking at Westmead managers, an actual Westmead man has to manage Westmead in, I don't know, I think 25 years or something, you know, as in Luke Dempsey would be yeah. regarded as a Westmead man, but he's a clear man by birth, you know, but Luke would always be still regarded. If Luke took over Westmead tomorrow, you know, he'd still, people would say, oh, it's great to have somebody from the county involved because Westmead or Luke has such a connection with Westmead between minors and other well, He's actually clear, man. Yeah, okay, yeah, he's actually you know, uh, Johnson, okay. you know, so, so we haven't had anyone and it's, it is a kind of a it is a slight issue with Westmead at the minute you know with regard to football you know that we, we persistently go with outside managers and um, we would have people within the county and you know the likes of I suppose the likes of Jack Clooney was somebody who everyone thought would be given a chance considering Jack's experience with club level and he, like he, he would have had um, huge experience with Rory Gallagher with Donegal for two years as well and different things so but it wasn't to be, and for some reason or another, I don't know why. <laughs> Maybe they just think, uh, you know, Faraway Hills are green, and that's that's what to go with. But that's up to the county board, I think, to decide. But you'd like to think over the next couple of years or whatever that you know, hopefully Colin Kelly will get going at this year and have a good couple of seasons or whatever, and hopefully somebody from Westmead will eventually get the chance to coach because I think there are good coaches there, and it's just a matter of someone getting their chance to to see how they get on. How about yourself, John? Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm a long way off doing that just yet now. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't have the experience for a senior county manager in fairness, but uh, we'll see down the line hopefully I'll be able to help somebody out or get involved in some way, shape or form, but uh it'd be a bit too soon now. But look there's plenty of good lads out there. You're, you're, 
you were involved with the under frame ones there for a couple of years, John. Is that something you you really enjoyed and something you'd like to go back to? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Now last year we did it last year. We had, we had an excellent, had an excellent kind of group of guys with me. There was myself and uh, Fred Wilson and Eamon Gallagher who would have huge experience and um, would be very good coaches in their own right. And um, John Gilligan was helping us out with the strength and conditioning as well. And had a very very good backroom team of guys around me as well as that. Uh, so it was a very good team of people. And unfortunately. The competition was changed to a summer competition this year and we, we kind of ruled out a lot of the guys because Eamon was involved with Castletown Hurlers which he won a championship with this year and he was involved with Malachy's Footballers and Fergal is very busy with a house and he's, his wife is expecting a baby at the minute it just wasn't going to work during the summer months and John Gilligan is involved with a number of clubs and he's involved with the say the All-Ireland winning Camogie team at Westmead this year as well so it just didn't fit that we'd all be able to be together next summer so it just wasn't going to work out and that's why we had to let it go but it was super it was a great experience to be involved at county level you know I've been involved with clubs with my own club and stuff and the county level is different because you're working with the cream of the crop and I'd be very much of an ethos that, that you either want it or you don't want it and you can kind of at club level you kind of have to pardon the expression but you have to put up with the fools to kind of because you don't have the numbers but at county level you know you should have a pick of 30 or 40 good footballers where there isn't a whole lot between them and if someone isn't stepping up to the mark or someone's acting out you can tell them you know you can show them the door which would be mm. something else that I probably got from Paddy back years ago he didn't suffer fools too easily so it's it, that'd be my kind of ethos and the way I'd look at it that if you want it you want it if you don't you can go somewhere else you know but that's the, the joy of the county football you get guys that really really want it and who were really into it, and it was super to be working with young guys and seeing them develop during the course of the year and just trying to get the best out of them, you know? Yeah, I definitely agree, Jerry. I certainly love to see a Westmead man taking take part. I think it's, it's probably beyond time. Just going back to Pawdy, John Kendrick, like you said there, it took him a, a while to get to get to know his players. There's a famous story, I don't know if it's true or not, about Paul Conway in the league game. Is that, would you like to add any truth to that one? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it was Spanner now or who it was, but I, I, Spanner always seems to get the blame for it. But I remember we were on our way to a league game, and he, 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 Johnny Russell was a cousin of Brian Morley's at the time, and um, he was our physio uh, himself and Kevin Darcy were two physios. So Johnny Russell was a masseur, and he called uh, Paul up from the back of the bus, and uh, he just shouted at him. He says, "Up, oh, come here, come here, come here!" And up he went, up he went, and next thing Spanner went up, and he says. Uh, my back is killing me. Would you mind giving it a rub? And Spanner had to say to him, I'm not a physio. I'd say you've enjoyed some great great tri- trips to him, uh, down to South Africa as well. I suppose that's memories that y- you'll probably cherish now that he's, that he's gone. Yeah, I know. It was great. Like, you know, and it was... It was uh, it was Paddy that took me aside. Uh, I think it was the morning before we flew home. He called me down to the down to the bar and I wouldn't be like him to be in the bar that early in the morning or me either you know on a weekend or on a week away like that but anyway he called me down and we went down to the, <laughs> and he said he wanted to have a drink and just the two of us sitting in the bar and he was chatting away and talking about things and asking me about the year and just chatting away you know he, he'd never tell you that you were great or brilliant right like that at all you know he'd just say you did okay you know he'd always kind of keep you on your toes but even at that stage he wasn't giving me loads of credit for a good year right like that but he just said to me then he says listen this is a you're after getting your all star, he says. I just got word there now, so he must have got the call or whatever the hell was after getting it. And he wanted to tell me himself, and it was a it was a lovely kind of a moment as well. Just the two of us sitting in the bar together, um, and for him to be able to tell me that I was after getting it, so it was it was lovely. It was very nice, and you know, a good good crack with him as well. At different times, he was always great crack, and he was always up for the crack. Like all the O'Shea's, he's he's 
he's easily an uncle of the other three boys anyway because they're they're all one and the same, you know. But um, it was good times with him, you know. You probably didn't get to spend enough time with him. And then when he left, you know, I met him once again after that. And the next time I saw him was at his funeral. So it was sad to think that he's gone and that you didn't probably get to talk to him enough because I know if it was nowadays and I'm getting into coaching and stuff, I could pick up the phone and ring him and chat to him and I know I'd meet him somewhere or whatever and he, he, he'd come over to meet you, but it's a pity he's gone and you'd miss him for occasions like that, you know? Yeah, great stuff. You were lucky to be in it. You like, you got first All-Star in 2004 and another, and I picked up another one in 2008, probably the, the biggest regret I'd have playing is that year in 2008, like you were talking about earlier on. John, they were, they were good trips to get, to get, to get on as well. Yeah, yeah, 2008 was yeah, it was a it was a good year, you know what I mean? And it was it was it was we were not saying we were lucky. I don't think I think nowadays I mean we won what do we do? We won did we win two rounds of the Leinster Championship or one round? I can't remember. Two, I think, and, we won, yeah. and then we won maybe two rounds of the qualifiers. So we actually didn't have a long run in the championship and to get an All-Star that year was kind of unique I suppose and Gary picked one up as well which was it was mad to think that, that, that two of us got All-Stars from a team that didn't get past, you know, didn't get to a provincial final or didn't get to the knockout stages, the quarterfinals of the um, All-Ireland stage. It, it, it just wouldn't happen nowadays and I think that was nearly the last year of it. Maybe there was that much given out that we got one <laughs> without getting that far, that's why no one gets them anymore. But... Uh, but it's it, it was a great yeah it was a great honour and stuff and but look at we had we had a good set up that year with Tomas as you well know yourself and I, again it's one of those years that definitely you regret and I think I'd regret 2008 more than anything else that we didn't actually achieve more than just winning we won the Division Two League against Dublin which was a nice win but I think you remember yourself with a couple of great wins we beat Monaghan a very good Monaghan team that was just starting to come up in Monaghan it was a great win and. But uh, like like anything you do, any year you don't win something, you definitely had regrets from it, and it was definitely a year that got away from us. That we just should have pushed on, we should have won more. We definitely had another Leinster title in us that year, and I think we were. I think if we had got over it that year, we were probably better prepared to kind of push on further than we ever would have been before. And I think you'd know that yourself. Yeah, certainly would. All right, Chad. Um, just taking you up there on the, the training methods. How, how did the the, the differ like between the time you started with Westmead and the time you finished up in your career, or even now when you're into into management and the things that you would have done differently. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, it's it's all about the coaching now. You know what I mean? It's 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 how you're coached and what you're done, and it's not just about doing drills on a football pitch and kicking the ball here and here. It's all has to be competitive. It has to be on the money, and it's 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 very sharp. And um, it's as in. When I started out, I remember I was under Brendan Lowry, who was with us at the time, and Brendan was very good as well, and at the time was probably new age enough, and we used to do half a gym session inside for half the team, half the crowd would stay inside for 40 minutes, 45 minutes, and we'd do a gym session inside in Bell and Gore dressing room, and by a gym session, it was probably just a couple of dumbbells stepping up onto a bench and different things, and then you'd go out and you'd run laps of the pitch for 45 minutes, you know, a la kind of Mick O'Dwyer style or whatever, but... That that was the train at the time, and I used to absolutely dread it because, as you know, Doran, I could I could sprint all day, but don't ask me to run distances around the pitch or anything like that. I was never a fan of running long distances, you know, built for built for speed, not distances. To say. But uh, it was that was the training we were doing, and if you fast forward now or right through when we were there, you know, there was still a lot of hard graft and a lot of hard running and stuff, but it. Definitely the gym work came more into it and everyone knows about the strength and conditioning that has come into it in the last number of years and nowadays it's more about balancing everything and trying to get your speed and your athleticism into it along with your kind of game situation and it's gone so tactical now that it has to, the coaching is so, so important. It's not just about the running because at county level 
you expect your county footballer to keep himself in shape and to have to have himself in good condition. And a lot of that is like you know he's only together, as I often say to guys like you're you're, you're together less than one percent of the week, and that's what you do for the for 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 the rest of the week is what counts, not what you're doing on the pitch. But when you're on the pitch, it's definitely all about the coach and it's about the game situation, it's about your tactical plan and stuff, and it's up to the player themselves to make sure that they're in peak physical condition. I think that's why the likes of Dublin are excelling because there's such competition that. They can just drop someone at the drop of a hat if they're not up to shape themselves. You know, there's no such thing as somebody from Dublin coming back in maybe half a stone overweight carrying a few kg. You know, because it just wouldn't be put up with. Yeah, just on taking them up on that, boys. Did you any mad training sessions when you when you started off started off playing? That you wouldn't do nowadays. Yeah, <laughs> uh, similar to what John was saying. Yeah, uh, back 20 years ago, laps was a thing. Like you know, the more laps you did, you were told. Uh, the better you were going to be like and that suited some players uh, funny enough I'd be the opposite to you John that suited me but when it came to the when it came to the more important stuff which was over 10 years to win a ball like and, uh, my speed was very poor like and, uh, so so 20 you know the way you do a 20 meter sprint like and, uh, I was yeah. Oh, he was well over, well over three and a half seconds. Like where some of the quick guys were coming in, some of the quick, some of the quickest fellas were coming in just above two seconds, which was very good. If yeah. you got, if you got below two seconds, you were told like you're, you should be sprinting in Olympics, you know. Yeah. <laughs> if you, yeah. but um, but uh, so it was all yeah, like crazy. And, and another thing as well, we were, we used to do. Uh, the old parky key there so uh, underneath the stands if you open up all the gates it was like a 400 metre run but on an on, on, on uneven surface we used to do that like kinda for January February you know uh, three days a week like and then fellas I sure, looking back your fellas were cracked with shin splints they were cracked yeah, with yeah. hamstrings they were cracked and then um, so like in fairness I there was a lot of good intent in what they were trying to do, but it was just wasn't scientific, you know, kind of, um, because, like, there is an element of training that you do need to go through a pain barrier or a small bit, you know what I mean? But when it comes to the detriment of your body, you know, where, where, you're, where you're picking up injuries, that's where you need to curtail it. But um, um, I'll tell you, boys, I'll tell you, Chanel, you, you missed the real scientific training in Roscommon when we were young. Go on, go on. We Short were way ahead. I'll tell you something, John and John Doran and, and, and Sean. We You're were right. way ahead of our time, man. We 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 had a guy one time, and, and I'll tell you. What were you doing? Were you pulling tractors? Pulling tractors. I'd rather not name him, right? But you know, his 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 training style was unique. <laughs> and he came we say for he came out of the 70s played in the 70s 60s 70s and 80s but anyway to go over our club team um comes from a very famous family but i won't name now and a great character but the depth of science in his training was unbelievable he'd take out a box of sweet afton he'd light a sweet afton he'd come out and eat meters at the gate and he'd say lads wire to wire and we'd say be jesus wire to wire right okay an hour and 20 minutes later when he'd all the sweet afton left and he's lash wire to wire he'd say now lads into the dressing room and have a shower at home <laughs> <laughs> and we thought this was great on the first night yes, it would surely get better for six months it was wire to wire as always <laughs> <laughs> wire to well, wire 
Well, I can remember doing Paddy, Paddy, when Paddy arrived, that was his key as well, wire to wire, but he'd throw a ball into it every so often. He had to mark oh, no, we, we didn't even it. see a schlitter, let's mind the ball. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Ah, look, it's, it's all moving on a bit, I think, thank God, but it was, yeah, it's gone, Sean it's Oakes said, lads, lads, were built, lads were built differently and it didn't really make sense, I don't think... People kind of do the same type of training anymore, but it's, you know, what you were saying about that, I can remember training with a minor team, and we had a guy who we were training over at Milton Pass, and there was no lights, so it was the street lights shining in onto the pitch, wherever it was got, so three quarters of the pitch was dark, and like that, we were running laps of the pitch as minors, when you think about it, it's nuts, having young lads, 17, 17 years of age, running around the pitch, and I can remember running around and running around one time, and next thing, there was less of us running around, there was less of us running around. And then we realised that as we were getting towards the dark, you were tripping across, boys. There was lads lying in the ditch and everything. And <laughs> and next, thing the, next thing the whistle would be blown, and about 20 lads would hop out together and finish the same time. You know, so it was, then was the time. It was caveman stuff, really, John Dahl. Like, <laughs> I'm was, telling you. Yeah. I wasn't oh, built for yeah. hardship. I was, I, was, I was built for nourishment, not punishment, anyhow. <laughs> You're like me. those laps. Jesus, laps lads. the pitch. You were like me, probably, uh, saying... Uh, oh, jeez, I think the character told me around. I used to hate it. Some lads were flipping tyres. Me and you were carrying spare tyres, or something. <laughs> <laughs> Beauty for me, go back and goal, it meant I, I missed all, I, I lost all that. I didn't have to do all the outfield work grants and so on. Uh, I was I was quite fortunate. I didn't mind the sprinting, but Jesus Christ, the mention of a lap was enough to make me sick. Well, one lad that we know, and Dornad, he'd agree with this, was uh, Gary Conson wasn't too fond of the old laps either. And About I remember, Gary, I remember, yeah, yeah. I remember one year we um, we actually trained him to the Beckham race course under Luke Dempsey for two years, I remember. Uh, we didn't have to jump the hurdles, in fairness, but we, we, we had to go around <laughs> the course. But another year then with Tomas, he brought us to Belvedere. I think, Dorn, you would have been in Belvedere with us, were you? And uh, it was a what was it, it was, it was yeah. a 1.5 mile course or whatever, but it was up hills and down hills, and I didn't like it, but Gary definitely didn't like it. And anyway, we were all at the top of the hill and we were waiting, waiting for everyone to come up the hill, and this like came and that like came. And no, I wasn't too far from the end either, but eventually Gary was coming plodding up the hill. He was the last man home, and the rest of us were all nearly ready to start again. And next thing tomorrow, was bollock when I was, hurry up, hurry up, Gary, get up that hill, get up that hill. And he came up to the top of the hill and he dropped to the ground and he started baiting the floor and saying, I'm a fucking goalkeeper, I shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> <laughs> he was probably big enough to roll down the hill that time. Stuff, yeah? uh, uh, you could talk about the training methods all day, lads. I don't think I went through any of that hardship compared to you, in fairness. Uh, you, were, you were a lot cleverer, Dorn, you were a lot cleverer. <laughs> and, yeah. and a good bit younger. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that though. I go big younger. <laughs> Shane, you play field for a while. I did. I played. I played um, most of my football for the county. Actually, uh, first uh, seven eight years was outfield. Um, played centre forward, full forward um, in the Connacht final in '92. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah. Most of my club football was all outfield until actually. I, uh, there was two reasons probably. I got married and I wanted to protect my my my, my back, and um, suddenly I, I was also getting a lot of scalps around the back of the lug, and I, I particularly wasn't taking the fondness to it. So going back into goal and giving it that scalp was an awful lot easier than than getting it at the back of the back of the lug or in the jaw. So yeah, no, I did. I enjoyed I enjoyed my outfield time, but um, injuries caught up with me. My back gave me a lot of trouble in my late twenties and. Uh, obviously, I played a lot of I played a lot of soccer and goal as well. I played League of Ireland goal, so it was a natural kind of regression. I don't know whether it was progression or regression, but it, it kept me playing a bit longer anyhow. 
Yeah. John Kane, what would you say separated you from the rest of maybe like other defenders in Westmead that have probably uh, haven't won two All-Stars like yourself? Jeez, I'd say I had a bit of luck to be honest with you now. Uh, I don't think anything separated me from the likes of the lads that I tugged out with over the years. You know, it was a lot of very, very good footballers. Even if you go back to that 2014, I mean, I'd still say Damien Healy was probably the best footballer I ever played with. You know, I think he was just exceptional talent. And he was, if he had taken up athletics, he would have been running in the Olympics, that type of lad. If he had taken up fucking horse riding, he, <laughs> he would have been winning in Cheltenham, you know, but he was. He was an all-round kind of an athlete, and the likes of Michael Ennis and you Derek Even, and you had, you know, there was a number of lads there who were exceptional defenders, and possibly, I suppose, what happened to me was I was probably given the man-marking jobs, which probably brought me to the fore more than some of the other lads. But it's not to say that it was any better. I was probably just lucky to be given a job to mark a lad and things to go okay for me on the day. But, you know, I always had the support of the boys around me kind of pushing it on. It wasn't, it wasn't the case that I was any yeah. better than them, absolutely not. You're too modest, John. I think you were the ruthless assassin. <laughs> I don't know about that. I, could, I, could, I don't know if I'd survive in the modern day. I just think there's, there's man-markers nowadays like Philly McMahon who go up the pitch and kick a couple of points. I don't think that would have been my, my style a couple of years ago. All I did was kind of stuck with a man and stayed with him and didn't matter if I didn't touch the ball. But I think the lads who yeah. slagged me, I think about in 2004, the claim, now, I don't know if it's true or not, I haven't watched all the videos, but the claim... That I won a Leinster medal without kicking the ball, but I'm not sure if it's true or not. <laughs> yeah, they used to say that about um, Donegal won the All Ireland '92. They had a fullback, Matt Gallagher, Matt yeah, Gallagher yeah. Yeah. and he they, they reckon he he didn't even he didn't even kick or hand pass a ball that day. He was just Anthony Murphy, and he was just uh, but uh, that was the uh, come here, John, on that right? You, I think you're what you call it. Uh, I agree with Shane. You're being too modest. I I actually think. And this is this is a big statement to me. I actually think the defenders no can't defend for like like do I don't know. Do, do, yeah, no, I we're like the guys in the Muppet Show. We're, we're like the guys in the Muppet Show, and we'd be giving out about the the current generation, all right? But, yeah, yeah, but I actually think right. Well, like especially in, especially in Harlem, but in football as well, from the football games I've seen. Do you know what these defensive systems where people are flooding back? I actually think they are from, you know, man to man marking and then not 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 committing an easy foul is is like gone. Do you find that, John? Or yeah, I... yeah, no, I mean, I, what would frustrate me mostly if I'm coaching somebody is somebody who gives away a silly free. You know, like your basic one of going down on the ball and someone hits them from behind and gives away the free and stuff like that. And, Definitely, there is that. Now, I have no doubt that the modern-day defender at inter-county level is a better footballer from a footballing perspective, as in they're able to play football better, they're able to soldier, take their score, and they'd probably be more involved in the game than maybe the likes of I was. But definitely, you know, some guys are definitely lacking from a defensive point of view, even from the point of view of you seeing a guy coming in an end line trying to stop a guy and stuff like that. And I, I love seeing good defending you know I'd watch a Gaelic football match and I'd, I, yeah. I, that's what I'd be watching you know I know there's obviously there's there's other parts to it where people would talk about the likes of the Deer McConnellys and the stuff like this but I love seeing proper defending and I remember going to the All-Ireland final Donegal one against Mio I'm thinking that Mio was defending that day I thought man for man they had the best defenders as in they were excellent defenders for tackling and I still think Mio's tackling is, is exceptional yeah. at times but yeah. Uh, I remember that day thinking their, defend, their, their defenders 
man for man were excellent, but it was just the collective unit that Donegal had as a defence that just won out today, you know, and I thought that was a... Yeah, I, thought, yeah, I know a lot of people yeah, think that some yeah. games are dour and this and that, but I'll always, I'll always watch a game of football if there's good defensive, you know, individual defences on display, but I, I don't know, Sean Oak, I suppose it is... You know, it's easy for me kind of to sit back and say, just yeah, let us know. But definitely you would see laps and you'd be thinking, holy God, what are you at? Like, you know, like it just... But yeah. I think from a defensive point of view, and you'd know that yourself, and Shane would know that, and Doran know as well, that like, it's all about focus and concentration and not getting distracted during the course of 70 minutes of a match. And if you can do that, I mean, I think a limited footballer with very good focus and a degree of athleticism is able to blank somebody else out, and they should be capable of doing it. And... If for some reason they lose out on it, I would always nearly put it down to you know just a lack of clarity and focus and clear thought. You know, I'd, I'd, yeah. have, I'd, have, to play, I'd have to play devil's advocate there, Sean Og, on the question maybe more than, and and maybe a bit of balance. I think myself and, and you, you alluded to it, John, there that um, when we talk about defending uh, and Sean Og, and even your question, you're alluding to it, and you're, you're right. Where you have defensive systems. Um, you have a lack of responsibility mm. because extra, you know, you, you've got an extra player back, a sweeper back. Players don't necessarily that they've got that comfort blanket in front of them that that takes a little bit of degree of sharpness off them. But if you you look at the two best teams in the country, I think we, we'd probably all agree, Mayo and Dublin. They employ a defensive system basically based on man-to-man marking, where they have a structure when they don't have the ball, but they have a structure of man-to-man marking that that other teams don't have, and a responsibility within their structure. And if you yeah. look at, we'd say, the likes of Barrett, Chris Barrett this year was outstanding all year, Colin Boyle outstanding all year, uh, Keith Higgins outstanding all year, and you go to the Philly McMahons, you go to the Keen O'Sullivan's, you go to McCaffrey, McCarthy, all these guys, they can defend one-to-one on their own merits. Yeah, yeah, they're, you know what I mean? They're, they're capable of doing it, but they have such trust in each other and they're so organised in what they know what they're doing. They all know their individual jobs and yeah. they're all capable of doing it. And they are able to switch between the two, I suppose. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But yeah. I think what, what, and I think what John Og would see, what he's probably talking about as well, and what I'd see is that when you have club teams and you have some county teams adopting a defensive approach, but they're just not structured, they're not organised, it Correct, just yeah. looks like they're full of six bad or it could be 15 bad defenders you know no yeah. one's defending no one knows their job and everyone's falling between two stools and all of a sudden it just becomes a shambles and it happens all too often within within club and you know within some county systems and it's it's it looks it looks horrific when it does happen you know yeah when it break when it breaks down all right but then it's, it's down to the coach and john it's down to the knowledge transfer from the coach to the to the player mm. Yeah. Um, that will ensure that the player does know what exactly is required of, quite required of him. But it's interesting. You see, you seem to see think Sean Og as well, though that 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 maybe is infiltrated into hurling as well. Obviously, the defensive system. Oh, uh, definitely. Uh, no, like definitely. And I just see too many fellas just making it too easy. Like, can I taking uh, taking a cup out? Just yeah. Hand or hand uh, like hurl your own the neck or um. Like for me, right? Okay, for me, the best defenders that I saw, right? They didn't necessarily impose themselves physically in the tackle. They just waited until the fella played the ball, and you already get a flicking in Gaelic, or you wait till the slitterer is like kind of played, and then you get a flicking, like you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was more about more about move, moving your feet, 
moving your feet, not jumping into the tackle and let the guy take four steps and then he has to make the next play and then you're in straight away. I don't see that anymore. I just see guys, when they're confronted in that situation, they just panic and they just jump in. They're either get dummied or if they're either half dummied, it's just an easy pull down, easy free. You know, uh, diving yeah. into the tackle, yeah. 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 Like, the ridiculous stuff like, you know, and then... And then you're right, Shane, that kind of feeds into the defensive system because basically, like, where we grew up in an era where it was man and man, you know, six fellas and six fellas, and then you were responsible. No, when you have two midfielders or even forwards dropping back, sure, there's no one kind of, there's no one taking responsibility for any fella. Like, you know, like, I'm looking around and saying, look, John, that's your fella. And then John is thinking, no, no, you pick him up, like, and, you know, and, yeah, I, I mean, in the likes of Crow Park, in a full house, if you're playing, you know, if you're playing at the level that Dublin and them are playing, there is no communication from the point of view of talking to each other because you can't actually hear each other on the pitch. Yeah. You know, when you're when you're engulfed by that crowd of eighty thousand or whatever it is, and you know, I've been in that situation where there'd be sixty odd thousand or whatever there, it's you just you can't hear each other. You know, you can't hear each other five, ten yards apart from each other. So you need to know your job, and this is what yeah. happens. And I think a lot of the smaller counties get caught when they do go to Crow Park that they might be shouting at each other on a county pitch and can hear each other and then all of a sudden it's nearly like a shock to them that they can't hear each other up there and the communication breaks down because even though they might think they know their job they don't know it without being able to hear somebody calling them you know yeah, yeah that's a good point Certainly agree with you there, John. Um, I think you're being very modest there as well about, about yourself, John. I think your, your attention to detail for me, I probably I would have learned an awful lot from you. I remember, if you don't remember, remember this, remember 2008, we down to play Cork in a league game, and it was probably my one of my first years uh, probably on the panel. I was still learning the, the trade, and it was a Saturday evening game down in down in Cork. Parky Rain, was it? Yeah, Parky Rain, yeah, it was, it's right, yeah. And we lost out, we were staying the night down there, we weren't coming back to the Sunday, so us all young lads had all the shirts and the, and the jeans in the bag ready for a big <laughs> night out, big night out in Cork City, anyway. And Desi is adamant, I know, the one he kicked against me, he, he, he knew that one was white, but the last kick of the game, he's adamant. I he remember that, bar. yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you waved it, the umpire waved it wide anyway we lost out by a point anyway but anyway we were all in, into the dressing room into our shirts uh, and brand new jeans and the fancy shoes and we look around at John there he is smelling well smelling well boy yeah <laughs> look around at John he's still at the tracks of bottoms on look, looking at us what are these lads going at they're going out and we're like sure, we're staying the night we're going out in the city for the night and he's like yeah I got to be joking me after that performance he said and you're going out in the city for the night eventually anyway he got a pair of jeans off our fit, off our, off our fitness trainer, Caleb. Do you remember that? <laughs> remember six that. inches big on the waist and six <laughs> inches short on the leg. <laughs> he he brought in three quarter length jeans before before they were in fashion at all. And all it was like a laden hose in. Was it a laden hose in on him? Was it? It was like a laden. <laughs> <laughs> like hose on him. Oh, all right. I, I blended in fierce level with other car boys. That's where we yeah. That's where we always dress. <laughs> All that was bothering you, JK, was was the fact that we lost the game. You didn't care about the three-quarter length jeans or anything like that. And I suppose after that, when I look back, and it's kind of them things that I learned a lot from, that you, is preparation was key, like even the way you looked after yourself, I think. You've been very ah, yeah, look, I kind, of, I, I kind of knew that I didn't have, and I, I never made any bones about the fact that I didn't have a huge skill set. I was very, you know, I, I was... I was very quick, I suppose, and I worked hard on myself and I kept myself in good shape once I got in shape, you know. But I 
I knew I kind of had to be on the money with everything, whether it was from flexibility and stretching and minding myself and eating the right stuff and making sure I was hydrated and, you know, getting my different types of gym sessions in at the right time of the week and whatever I needed to do, you know, I always kind of, I'd always do a 15, 20 minute session, say, maybe on the, if the match was on the Saturday, I'd do it on the, on the Thursday, a good intense one, but I always had my own little thing and I had my routines and I had my superstitions and different things that I do and I, you know, I always went for a walk the morning of a match, at least whatever, a mile and a half or so. It was different things like that, I suppose, that my wife would probably be able to fill you in more if she could remember them. But uh, yeah, it was just it was just things I always knew that I had to be. And if I was if I was off at all, or if I didn't do something that I knew I should have been doing, I just always saw that 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 was that was a doubt, an unnecessary doubt that I was putting into my own head that I didn't need. And I kind of knew that if I was prepared properly and I, everything had gone according to plan. It was fine, and I suppose when I was younger, everything had to go according to plan. There was a bit OCD, I suppose, about it. And as I got older, I was able to kind of adjust to the fact that, right, let's say if I had something planned or and I was throwing a curveball or something, I was kind of better able to handle it, you know. But there was there was little kind of things. I know one thing Paddy said to me when he came in was he always insisted on the vinegar bath, you know, after a match. He always insisted, you know, get in your ice baths and the whole lot and then go home. And it was something I always had. I was lucky I had a... I had an understanding girlfriend who was now a wife and she'd always have, I'd arrive in the door after a match and she'd have the bath filled and she'd have two bottles of malt vinegar filled into the bath and after every championship game, I wouldn't eat crisps all year long because I'd like crisps <laughs> and I'd lose control of myself if I ate But uh, So she'd have a couple of bags of crisps in a bowl, malt vinegar bath, left running and a DVD player sitting up beside the bath and I'd just walk in the door, drop the gear bag and that was it. And So I suppose I was lucky always to have the support from people around me as well to kind of help me kind of recover and get right from it but I suppose look that's just the things you had to do and it's no more than anyone ever did I suppose everyone had their own superstitions and everyone had their own bits and pieces that they had to do in order to make sure they were right you know yeah I think rumour has it as well you, you brought your own food to your brother's wedding just to get over him <laughs> before, before we finish up JK I wanted to ask you one of, one of Sean Oak's great passions is the, the international rules you were on the panel back in 2008 would you regard that as a positive experience yeah it was excellent you know I mean it, it was super because as I said the other on we were very disappointed with 2008 kind of finished and uh, with my own club at the time, we actually ended up in a relegation playoff and we, we got over that and then I kind of got on the international rules panel and it was super from the point of view as well that I managed to play under Paddy as we said already but I'd also a big motivation for me was Sean Boylan was a manager and he was somebody that I always admired, you know. He was, and it's, it's just a super thing for me to be able to say that I got to play underneath Sean Boylan and Paddy O'Shea uh, within my kind of short career, or not short career but I suppose during the course of my career. But it was just, it was excellent. It was a year, I think I had taken a break in 2007, 2008 was a big year because it was kind of make or break for the Aussie rules. It was like, if this goes well, we keep it on. If it doesn't go well, it's going to be scrapped. And there was a lot of, there was a big row in, I think Sean Og might know, it was probably a big row in 2006, I think. Um, and That's right, was, that was in Crow Park, wasn't it? Yeah, that was a big heresy, I think, that badly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was a huge issue. Up, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, but all live, all live. There was fights all over the place. Yeah. To be honest, no, the Aussies were way above board. No, like you know. Yeah, kind of, yeah, and I, th- I think they brought in because I remember I think it was Pat Daly was in Crow Park at the time, and he brought us in, and there was a lot of you know things about the rules and about different possible suspensions if we didn't act up. And I remember we arrived out in Australia. And I think it was a three week trip, you know, and we arrived out and um, we had to sit down for dinner with the. 
Aussies on the first night we were arrived out. So it was kind of, I think there was, you know, four Aussies and four Irish guys sitting at each table. And there was like an Irish and Aussie, an Irish and Aussie. And basically it was kind of a meet and greet and to chat everybody. And we thought it was kind of crazy. But when you went out and you sat down and chatted to all these lads, it was, you know, it was a nice experience to talk to them and talk about what their experience was of playing. And they were chatting to us and they couldn't believe that we weren't getting paid. And, you know, there was young guys there and there was older, more experienced guys there. And there were, it, it was just, a, it was a super experience. We were in, where did we play? We played in the MG, or the MG, MGT. MGC, which was just uh, super, you know, and I think there would have been 40,000 or something, and then we played in the Subiaco there, where the game was last, I think it's it's, it's oh, been um, knocked down now, but uh, we got to play there for the, or sorry, the first test was in Subiaco, I think the second one was in the MGM, I'm not, or maybe, it was, I can't remember which way it was, but it was just an incredible experience, and I remember we arrived back, and it was either the All-Stars or the GPA Award for on the night we arrived back as well. So it was just it was just a kind of a big kind of a roller coaster of a of a couple of weeks for me. Um, and I you know I got I was teaching at the time in school that minute to minute, and we got a huge send off and huge support from there and everything. And it was just it was just magnificent. It was just I was so happy that I actually got to do it. You know because it wasn't long after that that I was just kind of crocked and I wasn't able to kind of go at the same level that I was at. So. That was probably my final chance to do it, but it was just, it was super. And we won the series as well, and it was quite competitive. And there were two fairly good games as well. And so it turned out well, it was excellent, and it was just something that I was delighted I got the opportunity to do, you know. Oh, very good. Great stuff, John. Um, just before we finish up there and wrap up for this week, I've been asking our guests in recent weeks if you could invite someone over for dinner, um, uh, who would you take over? Invite somebody over for dinner. Uh, I invited Gary Conton over there a couple of months ago. I won't be inviting him again. Uh, <laughs> anyone, anyone in the world, now, John, it doesn't have to be someone from Ireland. If you could invite someone over to have dinner with, who would you take up? Oh, I don't know. My own little man is a big fan of Usain Bolt, so I'd have to be Bolt, I suppose, to see if, if my own little man, he keeps telling me that he's faster than Bolt, so I'll have to see. I'd like to put him to the test after dinner. <laughs> faster than his daddy, he, he, he'd have some chance. What, what would you cook him? <laughs> huh? What would you cook him? What would I cook him? Yeah. <laughs> Something Bacon and cabbage, buddy. Bacon and cabbage. Ch- chips and burgers. Try and slow him down a bit. Chips and burgers. <laughs> <laughs> he, likes, he likes those chicken nuggets bold, I think, doesn't he? I hear that, yeah. <laughs> he's he's retired now. He might be as fond of them as like he used to be, I think. <laughs> like like the shock. Uh, I think we're able to consume all that stuff as much as we used to. Yeah, uh, Very good. But that brings a wrap to the Super 8 podcast this week it's brilliant been enjoyed by the two anchors again Shane Kern and uh, Sean Ogahalpin and also great to have two time all-star and former with me cornerback John Kane on board to hear his thoughts on Paddy O'Shea and everything else absolutely great laugh thanks a million